And welcome back to Think Tank. This is Global Connections. Today, we're going to talk about the role of Belarus in the Ukraine war. Um, and we're going to ask whether Lukashenko is able to stay, can be able to stay in power. With Valery uh, Tsepkalu, um, he ran for president against Lukashenko, did not succeed. And, and he is a, a, a leader in the opposition movement, the democratic movement uh, in Belarus. Welcome to the show, Valerie. It's very nice to have you here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, you Jay. Thank us. you for inviting me. So going right to it, you know, I guess the, the principal question is, is uh, Lukashenko, Alexander Lukashenko, able to stay in power in Belarus, or is it slipping away from him? Well, it's a very hot question. I think now it's uh, related definitely to the Kremlin, uh, to Putin's regime, uh, because you know, uh, Lukashenko used to have three pillars of uh, his power. The first one was the connections with Russia, with Kremlin Festival. Uh, the second uh, is the dialogue, at least, that uh, he had with the West. Uh, just before the elections of 2020, even Mike Pompeo visited Minsk trying to somehow engage with Belarus. So uh, he had this um, freedom of movement. But most important that he had was the uh, illusion of the support from the side of Belarus people. And now the two pillars, they disappeared because everyone now understands that uh, Lukashenko doesn't have any popular support, no, uh, none of any social groups, in fact, in Belarus uh, uh, supports him. And uh, the West, in fact, doesn't want to talk to him. So uh, the only uh, way he can stay in power is the support from the side of Kremlin that played, in fact, the key role in 2020 by recognizing uh, the forged election, recognizing Lukashenko as a winner, even despite the fact that he completely failed and lost the last elections. Um, is it slipping away from him? I mean, is there a dynamic here? Uh, where people recognize this, where the, what do you want to call it, the institutions and social structures of Belarus are, are, are finding out that Lukashenko is a fraud. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's uh, now difficult to judge uh, since uh, he has uh, uh, Russian support, since he has the support from the side of Putin. And uh, definitely his fate now is... Uh, closely related to the fate of Putin, who will be having, in fact, uh, also uh, the election next year in March uh, 2024. And uh, it will not be that easy for him. He will not be easily reelected since uh, he is losing the war in Ukraine. And I think it can affect uh, seriously uh, his chances to be reelected next year. Uh, are there free and fair elections in Belarus? Oh, uh, definitely not. Nobody, in fact, uh, uh, counted voices uh, from uh, 1996. Uh, the only free and fair elections we had in 1994, when, in fact, Lukashenko was elected as the president. But since that time, uh, he uh, never allowed free and fair elections. And normally he liked to play his favorite game uh, by uh, taking off the race the strongest candidates, like it happened in 2020. Uh, three of his major contenders, including myself, were not allowed to run. Uh, he picked up an 
um, uh, housewife, uh, unemployed housewife. And that's what he also liked uh, during his uh, campaign. Previously, he also picked up uh, you know, women uh, with uh, no uh, big uh, social um, influence, uh, not big desire, in fact, to participate in political life. Uh, it happened uh, with the Olga Abramova and Tatiana Kartesh. I do not want to mention the name. Uh, this time it was Svetlana. But uh, this time uh, this scenario was not uh, written by him. You know, just we decided to unite our forces. And my wife and uh, Maria Kolesnikova, I spoke with them. Uh, they represented the two teams of uh, the candidates that were not allowed to run. And thus this famous uh, female trio appeared. But uh, he anyway, he just uh, forged even these elections. And uh, now I don't think that he will organize any elections in Belarus. So can you talk about um, you know, the control that uh, Putin has over Lukashenko and, and the current um, effort, as I understand it, for Lukashenko to uh, beef up uh, Belarus's military, militarize uh, Belarus? Well, uh, you know, um, Belarus army, in fact, uh, doesn't have a very uh, big motivation. In fact, it doesn't have any motivation. And um, uh, people uh, sometimes ask uh, why uh, Lukashenko and how Lukashenko can keep Belarus forces from being involved into this conflict. I think the answer is uh, pretty clear because both of them, Putin and Lukashenko, uh, unsure about how Belarus army would behave. And uh, most probably, uh, Belarus army, when entering the Ukrainian, when crossing the Belarus-Ukrainian border, most probable scenario would be that they would give up, lay down their weapons, then uh, will be retrained by Ukrainian forces and enter as Belarus forces onto the territory of uh, the country and their main target will not be Ukrainians, their main uh, targets will be the uh, Lukashenko regime. And, uh, you know, just even the fact that Belarus would surrender uh, is very frightening uh, for Putin because uh, it can demoralize uh, even bigger than it is now uh, the Russian armed forces that, uh, in fact, at least Russian armed forces has a motivation, you know, just their motivation is to get a part of the Ukrainian territory. But in terms of Belarus army, you know, just what Belarus can achieve, what territories they can gain. You know, uh, we do have on the West, if uh, we are talking about uh, Ukrainian territory, on the West, it's just a wetland and uh, nothing. There is no big interest towards this territory from either side because it's a wetland where you can only... Uh, collect cranberries. And on the eastern side, it's much worse. It's just the effect of Chernobyl disaster. And what even in theory uh, Belarus can gain is just only, you know, just the territories that were contaminated by Chernobyl disaster. So even in theory, Belarus has nothing to get in Ukraine. And we didn't have uh, definitely the propaganda, anti-Ukrainian propaganda that took place in Russia for the last uh, seven or eight years. Mm. Um, what about that there's a regiment of Belarusian uh, troops who are in Ukraine fighting with the Ukrainian army? Now, that is a fantastic statement, isn't it? Oh, yes, definitely. Because 
you know, just it's um, yeah, volunteers. And uh, when you look at Dami, they do have their own uh, uh, system of uh, growing up. Uh, um, just it, it, that that in fact exists uh, in any army of the world. But uh, you know, just to create a system of comment among volunteers, uh, it's just a really big challenge. And uh, we are really proud that uh, young Belarusians they uh, go to fight against aggressions. And uh, they are not the part of the uh, institute of a state, institute of uh, an independent state, but they fight for uh, their ideals. They fight for the independence of Ukraine. And simultaneously, they fight for the independence of Belarus. Let's talk about your sensibilities for a minute. Uh, you know, you were trained in Moscow. You've had um, you know, plenty of time to see what goes on. Uh, in Eastern Europe, um, in in the Soviet uh, Soviet system, um, what what what's the story of your um, evolution uh, from someone who is in the Soviet Union and now uh, opposes something that uh, Putin would like to do to recreate the Soviet Union? Well, uh, it's impossible to recreate the Soviet Union. Uh, definitely, when we lived in the Soviet Union, we could not imagine that uh, one day uh, the Soviet Union would collapse. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, I started my education in Minsk, then I was conscripted and I served. I had my army service uh, in um, Ukraine uh, for two years. And uh, then I uh, started in uh, Moscow. And uh, in fact, I even worked with the Soviet embassy in Finland. Uh, but when the Soviet Union collapsed, I made a decision to return back to my uh, native Belarus, where I was born, and I felt that this is uh, my country. And uh, in fact, uh, the majority of Belarusians, again, they didn't think about uh, uh, being an independent country, being an independent state. And that was true also in connection to many countries of the middle uh, of the uh, Central Asia, of the Russian Central Asia. I mean, the Soviet Central Asia and the Caucasus. Uh, but, uh, you know, just when we got this independence, we understand that this is the value that uh, we cannot trade. But um, uh, you're right. Uh, we uh, had good relations uh, uh, with Russia, and we believe that Russia could play a key role in uh, democratic transformation in Belarus. And uh, many of us really believed that... Uh, um, uh, Putin somehow could uh, help uh, us, uh, you know, and support uh, the uh, civil society of Belarus, but it appeared to be uh, vice versa. Uh, he knew that Lukashenko had lost completely the elections, but despite this fact, he recognized him as a winner and gave him $1.5 billion and sent in a clear message to Belarus law enforcement army and so on and so forth that he would intervene if they would uh, change the side. And uh, that was a bad role that he played in 2020, uh, but it was still okay, you know, just if uh, he had interest. But uh, he definitely crossed the red line uh, last year in February when uh, he uh, started a war with Ukraine. It's definitely unacceptable uh, to attack uh, the independent the European nation, the nation that finally also 
uh, got their independence and they want to live with their brains. They want to live by themselves without uh, any um, any interference from the side of Russia. So uh, this is, in fact, how my evolution, in fact, uh, took place. The red line is crossed, and uh, I think that uh, no one can uh, definitely support the mass killings that took place in Bucha and Derpen. No one uh, can support uh, the bombardment of civilian infrastructure, hospitals, uh, uh, residential buildings, uh, schools, and so on and so forth. That's absolutely unacceptable. So what about uh, the, the some of the news now that uh, is all over the web? Um, there was a drone attack on a, on a Russian AWACS plane. Uh, it, I guess it was near Minsk uh, because Russia has military facilities in Belarus uh, by partisans uh, where, you know, they essentially destroyed this plane, this multi-million dollar, I think $300 million plane, um, maybe less, but uh, it was a very important radar plane. And it's gone now because of drones, presumably because of the partisans, the Belarusians uh, partisans. What happened there and what does it mean? Well, uh, it means that um, you know, Belarus is Russia, and Russia also are vulnerable. And uh, in case Ukraine would like to reach any target uh, on the territory of uh, Belarus and on the territory of, of Russia, they can definitely reach it, uh, uh, whether independently or uh, having their supporters uh, inside uh, Belarus and inside Russia. So they do have levers uh, how to uh, influence situation and how to make damage to both aggressors to Russia and to Belarus. And that what Ukraine, in fact, uh, demonstrated also uh, you know, before and uh, now with this uh, attack on AVAX that uh, you called it AVAX. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, this is the plane that... Uh, uh, helps to uh, target the missiles uh, to civilian infrastructure on the territory of Ukraine. I think mm -hmm. Russia uh, had uh, only five of uh, this type uh, airplanes, and now uh, they have only four. A good kind of plane to destroy. Um, so now, you know, we, we talk about uh, crackdown. We talk about Lukashenko's crackdown. There was a Washington Post article the last couple of days uh, about a Nobel Prize winner who has been incarcerated now in, in uh, Belarus by Lukashenko. And uh, we hear news of uh, thousands of people being arrested and incarcerated now as political prisoners in Belarus. Uh, what, what is the, the course of that? Is that getting worse? Uh, how does that affect the sensibilities of the individual citizen in Belarus? Well, um, yeah, definitely um, now it's a big crackdown on the civil society in Belarus. And uh, this started uh, from 2020 only because uh, people of uh, Belarus uh, wanted to have free and fair elections. And uh, for that desire, uh, they are severely punished. Uh, I don't know if you uh, know these facts, but uh, uh, 45 thousand people went through prisons, uh, went through prison detentions, uh, and uh, 
this type and tortures, in fact, uh, uh, on the territory of Belarus after 2020 elections, which is a record number after the Second World War. Uh, during the Polish Solidarność in 80s, uh, there were about 10,000 people that uh, went through prisons. In Belarus, that is five, uh, that is four times smaller than Poland. We have about five times uh, more people that go through uh, prisons, detentions, and so on and so forth. So uh, this is basically the reality that we have now. We have only officially recognized 1.5 thousand political prisoners. But uh, altogether, there are about 5,000 because uh, people are detained, let's say, for having red, uh, white, red, uh, uh, white flag as a national symbol. Uh, they are not considered as political uh, detainees, as political prisoners, but in fact, they are. So we can say that there are about 5,000 people now are kept in Belarus prisons. And uh, every uh, day we hear uh, new people are detained and uh, interrogated and put into prisons. And that includes torture? Yes. Well, uh, I don't know if these tortures are taking place now, but uh, thousands uh, and thousands of facts were recorded about uh, tortures. Uh, people went to hospitals and uh, uh, good doctors, they put information that they just... Um, uh, make special documents, made special documents about the facts of beatings and tortures. And these doctors were fired later. Uh, and, uh, you know, just this was true. And many of them uh, moved uh, then overseas to neighboring countries where they uh, got the uh, medical uh, treatment, uh, psychological also medical treatment, but uh, physical uh, treatment as well. Uh, so um, this was, yes, uh, the reality that uh, we had uh, after forged uh, 2020 elections. So you have a population in Belarus of uh, something approaching 10 million. A lot of people have left. They've left because of these events we're talking about. And they've gone to the neighboring countries. Uh, I mean, how does that play in terms of the, the remaining population? Uh, what, why exactly are they leaving and, or not leaving? Well, <clears throat> yeah, that's a very good question because uh, probably now uh, there are not that many effects of tortures, as I say, uh, but um, uh, people in Belarus, they lost the sense of perspective. Uh, since the regime doesn't have any agenda, it cannot have any agenda. It cannot say that, okay, fine, our country will be developing, we are moving, you know, towards... Uh, uh, whatever objectives uh, are, you know, the only agenda that this regime uh, has only is uh, how to stay in power. And uh, people, they do not feel any perspectives in uh, Belarus. And this is the reason uh, about half a million people uh, now uh, emigrated uh, or emigrated after 2020 uh, to the neighboring countries uh, and to, to the countries of the European Union, some of them to the United States of America. Um, some of them, yes, they escaped the persecution, uh, including, for instance, my family. Now, uh, in fact, at this moment, starting March 1st, um, yeah, there are uh, 12 criminal charges now uh, in uh, against me 
uh, in a criminal court of Belarus, you know, just uh, in a court of Belarus. Well, we cannot definitely call it a judicial system because uh, we know in advance what decision uh, the uh, regime will uh, take. Uh, but uh, anyway, they uh, continue to persecute uh, um, even without our presence on the territory of Belarus, uh, many uh, political activists uh, or opposition leaders. I do not like to call it opposition because uh, we believe, and this is the reality that we represent the uh, majority of Belarus people. Opposition uh, normally represents the minority if we look at the definition. Uh, but uh, we know that uh, we, um, yeah, if uh, free and fair elections uh, will take place in Belarus, uh, uh, we will uh, definitely win. Lukashenko doesn't have any uh, chances. Mm. Uh, talk about neighbors for a minute. Uh, your neighbors are <clears throat> Poland, I suppose, and uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. You know, a year ago, when, when Putin first invaded Ukraine, the notion was he just wanted the Donbass. He just wanted to restore, you know, Russian control of what he felt was a Russian country. Um, now it appears that he's looking for other territory in other Eastern Euro European countries that were formerly part of the Soviet Union. How Do you know how the people uh, in Poland, in Estonia, in Latvia, uh, in Lithuania feel um, about the possibilities that they will be also attacked? <clears throat> And um, this was quite a likely scenario, uh, because if Putin uh, would succeed in Ukraine, you know, then uh, probably the next target will be Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, especially uh, because Russia has an enclave uh, in Kaliningrad region, and uh, the only way is to reach this enclave uh, is uh, through the territory of Belarus, Lithuania or uh, via Baltic Sea, by sea. So um, yeah, these uh, speculations, in fact, uh, uh, really uh, were not only speculations. It was a very likely scenario that if Putin would uh, be able to overtake Ukraine or even the part of the territory of Ukraine, uh, he would uh, move uh, uh, to Lithuania and if the West would not react uh, accordingly uh, in the case of Ukraine, uh, then he was absolutely convinced that no one would do anything uh, in the West to protect Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia, even despite the fact that uh, they uh, are the members of NATO. But uh, now, uh, you know, just I don't think that we have to talk about uh, this. Um, um, variants of development of situation since uh, uh, Putin now has a complete failure in Ukraine. And uh, I think that now he's only thinking how to uh, make an exit uh, with any face-saving formula. Well, he's looking, uh, he's looking overseas, isn't he? Uh, he? He's looking to China. He's trying to get close to Xi Jinping and get support from Xi Jinping. And and look stronger than he really is in the eyes of the world. Um, what do you think of that? What, what do the Belarusians think of that? Well, we <clears throat> think about it the same way as we uh, thought about Lukashenko, that uh, 
you know, just uh, that Lukashenko in 2020, uh, he would fail uh, if uh, it wouldn't be the support of Putin. So uh, Russia was a geopolitical patron for uh, Lukashenko regime for uh, Belarus, <clears throat> and uh, therefore it played its uh, negative role, I think, uh, uh, in the events of 2020. Yeah, Putin is at the urge of uh, elections in uh, next year, in 2024, and uh, it's uh, very difficult if uh, uh, Xi Jinping can play the same role for Putin as Putin played for uh, Lukashenko, because there are a lot of uh, cultural differences between Russia and China. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the majority of Russians, they feel themselves more uh, Europeans, more living in the European part of uh, the continent, uh, rather than uh, being closely associated with Asian nations. <clears throat> so he wants definitely uh, have a support from uh, Xi Jinping. However, uh, I don't know if uh, this is uh, good for the future of Russia or not, because uh, they have disputed territories with uh, China. And after all, uh, overpopulated China and underpopulated territories of Siberia, of Russian Siberia and Far East, you know, can cause an appetite from the side of China. And uh, whoever knows uh, uh, what the result could be of uh, such cooperation. Uh, so Putin uh, has to um, find the support from whoever he can get this support. Uh, but uh, China definitely has its own interest. And I think that at this moment, uh, uh, you know, just the whole world uh, sees uh, Russia not as a global player, but as a regional player. And now uh, they are geopolitically on the same, um, has the same weight as uh, as uh, Turkey, as Iran, you know, just but uh, definitely not uh, uh, with uh, China. They can they cannot be now allies. Uh, they uh, Russia can only be a subordinate to China. One more thing, uh, Valerie, is uh, is that uh, you're on the way back from a a trip uh, with uh, uh, Dmitry Balkanets uh, from Washington. You came to the United States to present at academic conferences. Uh, you came to the United States to talk to American officials. Uh, what was the purpose of the trip and how well did it go? What kind of reception did you get? Well, uh, first of all, um, you know, just we wanted to convey the message uh, how to deal with uh, authoritarian regimes like uh, Lukashenko regime uh, in uh, Minsk. That... Uh, they do not understand the uh, diplomatic language and uh, they consider the diplomacy as a sign of weakness. And we remember in uh, 2020, when uh, Lukashenko orchestrated the migration crisis uh, with, uh, on the border with Poland, uh, brought a lot of uh, uh, people from uh, Syria and from other Arab countries uh, to, the borders with, to the border with Poland, uh, and uh, Angela Merkel tried to make a phone call uh, to Lukashenko. At that time, uh, she was a chancellor of uh, Germany, uh, tried to convince him uh, not to pursue this agenda. He uh, didn't even pick up a receiver because he uh, thought that uh, uh, it would be uh, just a, 
a diplomatic talk, and he considered uh, his position much more stronger. Uh, but uh, when Poland just shut down only one border crossing on the north, not the main one, uh, with uh, Belarus, the immigration crisis was over in uh, only a couple of days. So uh, Lukashenko sent all immigrants back to their home country. And uh, why did it happen? Because, you know, the only route from China uh, to Europe by railway uh, goes through the territory of Russia and Belarus. There are no uh, other options. There are no other alternatives. And uh, the trade turnover that goes between uh, China and Europe through the territory of Belarus uh, is about 5% of the whole Chinese-European trade turnover. So it's a big amount of uh, uh, goods uh, circulating through the territory of Belarus. And if the border would be closed completely, it uh, means a lot of damage for uh, Chinese, first of all. Probably... Lukashenko doesn't care about the European interests, but uh, for Chinese interest, uh, he has to care. And uh, you know, this is the reason he uh, immediately stopped the immigration crisis and, uh, you know, just uh, uh, everything uh, came back, let's say, to normal. What is happening now is that uh, Poland closed again uh, the northern border crossing with uh, uh, Belarus. And also the same thing uh, Lithuania did. And uh, if uh, it would be an ultimatum from the side of America and its Western uh, European uh, partners or European partners uh, to Lukashenko asking or demanding uh, him to release political prisoners, 5,000 people, to release political prisoners, otherwise the border crossing will be closed completely, then he will go, he would go to prisons and release these people by himself. Because uh, neither uh, Xi Jinping nor uh, Putin would not tolerate it since the trade turnover goes uh, uh, via the territory of Belarus and uh, Lukashenko. And the political prisoners, they uh, uh, have no interest to, to Lukashenko, uh, to, um, Putin and to Xi Jinping. So uh, this was the first message. And the second message is that we want to organize um, elections in Belarus to the National Council, real elections, uh, using the modern technologies, uh, using mobile phones uh, to elect uh, freely, freely, you know, just, but definitely the uh, people that they can be located all outside the territory of Belarus, but uh, people inside Belarus uh, will be able also to participate. And we ask the American government to support this idea since they support uh, a lot of elections and referendum, including modern technologies and traditional technologies uh, all over the world. And even uh, there is an uh, institute or association of electoral systems, something like that, a non-governmental organization that uh, helps uh, uh, many countries to organize elections and uh, their uh, knowledge and expertise uh, can be valuable uh, for that. So uh, uh, if we will be able to do that, 
we will create uh, the only legitimate in the eyes of Belarus people institute uh, that can be recognized by Belarusian people and that can serve as a transitional institute uh, when uh, Lukashenko will disappear or it can play a role in dismantling this regime in Belarus. What kind of reception did you get in Washington? Well, uh, you know, just um, yeah, nobody, in fact, can oppose the idea of uh, elections uh, in the United States, especially when uh, uh, the U.S. helped uh, other uh, countries to do it, uh, like we gave the case of the Tibetan parliament in exile or the referendum in Venezuela and many other elections in Iraq. Uh, so uh, there are many examples and definitely nobody opposed it. But when it comes to money, it just uh, it's appeared to be a different story. Uh, frankly speaking, Putin uh, signed checks uh, with 1.5 billion much easier than the U.S. government 1.5 million for the democracy in Belarus. <laughs> but that's the reality, you know, just and we have to face it. Nobody, in fact, owes us anything. Uh, you know, we uh, can try now to find um, other sources of uh, financing because uh, we cannot do it without money, uh, probably from private uh, sector, from private individuals or corporations in the United States. Now, it strikes me, Valerie, that, um, you know, a lot of Americans, a lot of people in Western Europe really didn't know who Belarus was before this started to heat up. Um, but now it is heating up. Belarus uh, is getting more attention. And indeed, Belarus is more important, uh, you know, in the whole conflagration in Eastern Europe. Um, it's more important in the future of Eastern Europe. Do you agree with me about that? Absolutely. The uh, role, the geopolitical role uh, of Belarus uh, should not be underestimated. And uh, uh, definitely we would like uh, sooner or later to become a member of the European uh, nations, of the European family of nations. <clears throat> and uh, we would like to uh, see uh, our country as a parliament, a republic, which would uh, choose its partners and allies based on uh, shared common values. And, uh, and strategically, yes, it's also very important because we know that all the major uh, wars uh, on the uh, territory of Europe, uh, Belarus was involved. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it's a kind of a crossroads between Russia and Europe and between Northern Europe and the South, uh, Ukraine and Turkey. So uh, yes, you're right, uh, Belarus, uh, uh, plays an important role, unfortunately now a bad role uh, in the conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine, in, in fact, in the war uh, of Russia against Ukraine. But uh, we will hope that uh, in the nearest future, Belarus will uh, play a stabilizing and much more important role on the European continent. Mm. Valerie Zepkalo uh, ran against uh, Alexander Lukashenko. Uh, for president of Belarus, uh, unfortunately without success. Um, but who knows what the future will be? Uh, he is a leader in the democratic movement in Belarus. Thank you so much for joining us, Valerie. Thank you.
Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo. Thank you.